This episode of Astrology Hotline is brought to you by Newsly. If you're anything like me, you like to stay informed on what's going on in the world. In fact, paying attention to current events and watching how they correlate with transiting planets is a great way to learn astrology. But as you might know, it can be a bit of a struggle to find time to actually sit down and read all the latest articles. But not anymore, thanks to Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up web articles from the most trending topics on the web at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice, liberating those busy thumbs and eyeballs of yours for, you know, that other stuff you gotta do. <laughs> for the first time in the history of the internet, the web becomes listenable. So, say goodbye to copying articles and pasting them into Bonzi Buddy. Just browse Newsly for articles from topics of your choice and start playing. And that's not all. With Newsly, you can explore trending podcasts from over 40 countries. Now, I know you're probably asking, but Kyle, does it have my favorite podcast, Astrology Hotline? You better believe it does. All you gotta do is download Newsly free from www.newsly.me. And to top it all off, you get a one-month free premium subscription by using promo code ASTROLOGY2021. That's astrology with zeros instead of O's, 2021. Stop scrolling and start listening. Now, on to the show. Hello, you're listening to Astrology Hotline. I'm Kyle, and hosting with me today is Tristan Taylor. Hello, everyone. Uh, we're going to be doing a special episode today, in the sort of the spirit of Halloween. How are, how are you feeling uh, with Scorpio season so far, Tristan? Uh, that is just entered, I believe, this morning, right? Yeah. October 23rd. For some reason, I had the date mixed up. I thought it was later than this. So, you know, I did my usual thing where, you know, I get up in the morning and I, I look at the transits for the day and I was like, oh, it snuck up on me, mm -hmm. which is very characteristic <laughs> of Scorpio yeah. to yeah, sneak but... up on you. Mm -hmm. Very stealthy. Um, wasn't expecting it. Totally. So far, the the sun is one of my time lords this year, and you know, so far having the sun in the fifth house has been nice. So it's transiting through my my fifth house when it's in Scorpio, and uh, I'll I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think I've been enjoying today overall, but I know that this is pretty much my favorite time of the year, like every year. I, I don't know about you, Tristan, but I uh, absolutely love Halloween. Uh, sort of a protest against uh, the early Christmas decorators who start decorating in November. Sometimes, I don't always do this, I try to be a little tasteful, but I, I mean, I definitely put up my Halloween decorations October 1st, but sometimes I'll do it in September just to, just to rub it in Christmas people's faces. I think my room is decorated for Halloween 365. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My life so, is decorated for Halloween. Yeah, my life is very much yes. Halloween-y. Want to interview Cancer Risings and see if it's just a universal thing. It's having Scorpio on your, your fifth house. If uh if Halloween just ends up being the favorite holiday of of Cancer Risings everywhere. Is what brings Cancer Risings joy, but mm -hmm. Scorpio. Yes. That's that's where the house of joy is in our charts. You know, don't <laughs> don't underestimate Cancer Risings. Oh you know, no. We we seem innocent and sweet, but we have Mars ruling our fifth houses. Actually huge creeps. Yeah, our uh, our idea of a good time is a little messed up. 
yeah, it's uh, I don't know, but I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, no. it's a good time. What are you um anything in particular you're doing to get in the Halloween spirit? Not really this year. Um, to be honest, I kind of feel like I feel about Halloween similarly to how I feel about New Year's, where you know there are so many years where I get way too hyped up and then end up just like setting myself up for disappointment. But it's also, I mean, we're in sort of a transition right now where we're still settling into this house that needs a lot of renovations. So, you know, putting a lot of energy into decorating right now, Mm -hmm. it just feels like it would be misplaced energy. Yeah. We need to get the house in good enough shape to be festive, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's a good excuse to, to do that stuff. I know that's, uh, I tend to keep things a lot cleaner because I, um, enjoy my living space so much more because it's full of Halloween decorations. (laughs) So I actually like care about it enough to like do more of like the detail cleaning. I love that. I mean, I'm, I'm very excited about this episode. This feels, this feels very festive. I feel like this is my, my big Halloween celebration is doing this episode. One of the nice things about speaking of the fifth house, having, having a kid is that, uh, you know, trick or treating gives me an excuse to actually get a Halloween costume and, and dress right. up. Right. What is your Halloween costume this year? Oh, I think uh, I would like to be, and I think I'm going to go with uh, Professor Snape this year. Ooh. Even though I can't get Declan to get on board with me to dress up as another Harry Potter character. Um, oh, that's too bad. I think I'm just going to do it anyway. Cause What's he dressing up as? Uh, a werewolf. Ooh, I like it. Yes, that's what that's what I should do. An adorable pink werewolf, not even a scary one. <laughs> I okay. Declan is my hero. I'm actually <laughs> I'm playing a werewolf in D and D right now, mm-hmm. but my werewolf character is very unconventional and like has a lot of, um, like still has this is of the same mind when mm-hmm. he's shape shifted. Um, so he doesn't want people to be afraid of him, and he goes around wearing a giant blue bow in wolf form to look less intimidating and blend in a little bit better. Mm-hmm. So I just, I love the image of the happy, sparkly pink werewolf. I feel like a real sense of uh, of solidarity with Declan. Yeah. I mean, he does have this very sparkly Venus and Pisces in his fifth house, so... That's it, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's so lovely. much so much lovelier than my fifth house. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, yeah. Different ideas of, of Halloween costumes, but I it's a good influence. Good influence on me. Um, but uh, I want to get too off track, but I didn't know that you did D&D. I do. Well, we, we started recently. We've wanted to for a really long time. And uh, my partner, Keith, finally took the plunge and uh, taught himself to DM. So we've been, it's just been me and Keith and my Holy. best friend for a few weeks. Holy moly. Uh, we do have the same chart, <laughs> I swear to God, because uh, Megan and I, um, maybe within a year ago, both got interested in the idea of doing D&D at the same time. And we haven't been able to find a DM to host a game for us. So we haven't actually played yet. You'd like really want well, to, so I don't know. You guys want to do a little, little DM or uh, DM D and D party? Well, we're uh, we're 
couple gonna of start a new campaign in December with you know we're gonna add another friend to the table so you know maybe this uh this podcast episode you know everyone is is listening to uh the beginning of a new d and d uh team up you're you're hearing fate in the making you're uh i don't know making my you're being jupiter in my 11th house right now because it's That's you're making a, a dream come true <laughs> yes anyway um do you want to do you want to let folks know what our oh, plan yeah, yeah, is for yeah. this episode? because this was all this was kyle's brainchild yeah though i think technically you were the first one to to do this um what we're actually doing um decided to in the spirit of halloween and uh, have a little bit of fun with astrology and we both chose birth charts of fictional what would you call them spooky characters horror horror characters or horror adjacent characters yeah 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 i mean we're, we're kind of answering our own question to some degree is that, that you know can fictional characters have birth charts you know, do they they line up with the uh, lore of of that character? You know, the fictional timeline. I think my character makes a pretty good case. Yeah, I'm I am excited to hear about yours. Uh, you want to jump in? On a late November night in the small town of Chilmark, Massachusetts, a 12 year old boy wakes up in the bedroom he shares with his younger sister to hear her desperately calling his name. Fox, she screams again and again, but as Fox tries to respond, he realizes his body is completely paralyzed. Unable to turn his head, he can't see what is happening to his sister. A bright light fills his vision and he hears a soothing voice speaking in his head as if by telepathy. Do not be afraid, no harm will come to her. One day, she will return. When Fox wakes the next morning, his sister's bed is empty. Now let's fast forward about 20 years to the FBI headquarters in Washington, DC. Special agent Dr. Dana Scully is summoned to a meeting with the division chief and a mysterious unnamed government official. She is given a new assignment to work on an obscure section of the FBI with an agent her colleagues refer to as Spooky Mulder. To reach his office, Scully must descend from the well-lit and well-walked halls of the headquarters to a secluded office deep in the basement. Knocking on the door, she hears the voice inside say, Nobody down here but the FBI's most unwanted. Scully enters the office. Cork boards filled with pictures of crop circles, UFOs, and records of extraterrestrial sightings line the walls. She approaches the desk and reaches out to shake her new partner's hand. Hi, he says. I'm Fox Mulder. So, we will have uh, Mulder's birth chart up in the show notes. Um, I'm assuming he doesn't need much more of an introduction than that because I feel like the X-Files has been so influential on pop culture um, that, you know, he's probably a household name, but he is uh, one of the two main characters from the 90s uh, supernatural sci-fi show, The X-Files, which is like, I would consider it sci-fi horror. 
Oh, yeah. They spend a lot of time running away from aliens and monsters in the woods at night. It's it's pretty spooky stuff. It's a scary show. Not overly so, but it is scary. I think our maybe our tolerance has gotten higher for horror or something. I feel like That's true. I, I, the X-Files was the scary show for a long time, and now it's still a great show. I just, yeah, I don't get the chills so much anymore, but anyway... Um, yeah, I'm excited about this. It's one of my favorite shows. I like grew up on the X Files. I think you did as well, right? Yep i uh, I had Scully and Mulder at the foot of my bed. I had a <laughs> giant X Files poster, so I woke up every morning to see their faces smiling down I on wish me. It was that cool? Well, not really smiling. I guess like looking serious and yeah. vaguely paranoid. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I had uh, Which is, and- uh you know. It's how I felt around that time. So. Yeah, yeah. I was Serious like... and vaguely paranoid. <laughs> that was exactly my childhood. It's like my default state. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I had a, I had an action figure of Dana Scully that I kept uh, next <laughs> to my bed. I that they nice. like they raised me as a child. They were my parents. <laughs> I wish. I uh, I love. I know. Wouldn't that be great? I love creepy, spooky stuff. Like I watched Unsolved Mysteries, and I watched The Outer Limits, but. The X-Files was really special because oh, it was the Outer so, Limits. Yeah, The Outer Limits was... <laughs> love The Outer Limits. I mean, I, I haven't rewatched it since becoming an adult, so I don't know if it would still hold up. But I mean, as a kid, I ate it up because just like anything that it's was like good. creepy and about aliens and kind of like unsettling. Tales from the Crypt, actually. Tales from uh, the Crypt, yeah. So great. That was good. It's still great. Actually, really hard to get, though. I think you have to get like the DVD box set. Really? Yeah, it's like you can't get it on H- on uh, Amazon or on anything. That's rough. But I feel like you just like set it up for people. Anybody who hasn't watched the X Files, you, you know, after listening to Tristan, like you could jump in. Good, I don't know. It's a good lead off. <laughs> yeah, it's the complete X Files is available on Disney Plus. So you know, get on that. I don't know if it is. is I think it's just in Canada. Is it just in something. Canada? I don't know. I couldn't get it. I couldn't find oh, it. Oh, man. Uh, I had to get Hulu. Don't get me started on Hulu. Oh, well. <laughs> Unless Hulu wants to sponsor us. There are way, yeah. There are ways to watch it. Anyway, I guess I should probably actually get into Mulder's chart. I actually <laughs> wrote a, uh article recently about his chart where I analyzed it. So... As far as I know, he doesn't canonically have a birth time. He does canonically have a birth date and location. So I made an effort to rectify the chart. And, you know, after after discussing, you know, a few things that don't require a birth time to be relevant, uh, I'll get into, you know, how I rectified this chart and uh, some of the events from Fox Mulder's timeline that uh, actually line up pretty well with the birth time I chose. So Mulder was born on October 13th, 1961 in uh, Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. And he was born with the sun in Libra and uh, the moon in Sagittarius. And probably most notably, if anyone's familiar with both astrology and the X-Files, uh, they will not be able to help noticing the conjunction between Mercury, Mars, and Neptune all in Scorpio <laughs> in his chart. And Mercury and Mars are both at no seven degrees of Scorpio. So just like right on top of each other. That's so 
awesome for a paranormal like detective. Oh yeah, it's just like <laughs> perfect. I was gonna say like I I kind of was a little raised by David Duchovny. Um, <laughs> my dad was a huge enthusiast, huge enthusiast of of the X Files and everything like the X Files. Did you ever watch Coast to Coast with George Murray? I didn't. Or listen to? Oh, no, no. I mean, I heard of it, but I don't think it was, uh, I don't know if it was popular on TV in Canada. It was a radio, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I said watch. It was a radio show, like a late night radio show that was like all about paranormal stuff. But my dad had uh, Mercury conjunct Neptune in Scorpio. And he loved all the, the paranormal Nuts. stuff, too. Dad, your dad <laughs> is kind of Fox Mulder. That's hilarious. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's probably pretty obvious, you know, even if you haven't watched the X-Files, is that Scully and Mulder are both FBI agents and they work on a weird section of uh, paranormal cases called the X-Files. Aliens are big, extraterrestrial beings are are a major theme of the show. Um, And the major theme of the show is sort of overarching mythology. But uh, most of the show is sort of like monster of the week and... You know, they they deal with the Jersey Devil and they deal with the ghosts and psychics and like anything sort of out there. The and Loch Ness weird. Monster. They, yeah, they, they deal with the Loch Ness Monster. Um, so Mulder's sort of driving obsession in life uh, is investigating these paranormal cases. And he is extremely passionate extremely obsessed and extremely paranoid um (laughs) but i think so when i when i started looking at his chart uh the first thing that i noticed about it is that he has three planets in the signs of their fall he has venus in virgo he has the sun in libra and he has jupiter in capricorn um and fallen planets, you know, we've talked about them a lot on this show and how, you know, they can kind of be misfits where, you know, they're they're in the opposite of the place that the planet would be when it is exalted, you know, where um, it has an easy time being seen and respected. In Mulder's case, you know, he's got a bunch of planets in his chart that don't necessarily have an easy time being seen and respected. So Mulder's like extremely competent and... Um, he developed a reputation for being extremely good at behavioral profiling uh, early in his FBI career. But of course, he's also completely obsessed with paranormal fringe theories, which sets him up to be like a little bit of an outcast figure at the FBI. His, his nickname, you know, as I mentioned, is Spooky Mulder, and people kind of don't take him seriously. And um, in a way, it's like, like, Dana Scully is a really promising young FBI agent. She's a medical doctor. She's, you know, extremely successful and extremely competent. Um, So, like, it could be seen as a little bit of a slight towards her in a way that she gets assigned to basically, uh, you know, run around with this guy as he chases after, you know, aliens and ghosts and stuff. Um, And her job is kind of to... uh, (laughs) come up with rational explanations for the phenomena he encounters. And like in the first episode, you know, she literally, you know, she starts on like a main floor of the bureau and, or of the headquarters and has to like descend into this dark, creepy, cramped sort of basement setting. So it's like, she literally has to fall just like the planets Mm -hmm. and fall on Mulder's chart. Like you have to fall in order to get to this man. (laughs) 
Yeah. And then he says his very first line in the show is no one down here, but the FBI is most unwanted. Uh-huh. So it really fits with that, you know, having multiple planets and fall on a chart and, you know, being like a little bit of an outsider. There's a ton in, in his chart, actually, that fits in so, in so many ways. So it makes me wonder if like they were, I don't know, if somebody who's into astrology picked his birth date or something. That's what I kept saying to myself. I was like, and it, it would make sense. So the showrunner, uh, Chris Carter, mm-hmm. you know, is, he's into all this weird stuff. And yeah, like a, I have to be into astrology he, a little bit. Yeah, like he's got, you know, episodes of the X-Files that are about psychic powers and predicting the future and whatever. Um so it just it makes sense to me that he'd know something about astrology. And yeah. interestingly, Chris Carter also has the sun in Libra and Venus in Virgo, just like mm. Mulder. So I don't know. There's part of that me. Is interesting. Yeah, when I look at Mulder's When was chart, Chris Carter born? Uh, Chris Carter was born in 1956 on okay. October 13th. So he oh, literally so, yeah. shares Mulder's birthday. Yeah. Not the same year, but the same day of the month. Yeah. I mean, there's a flavor to that that time of year. Mm-hmm. Sun in Libra is a, it's a bit more of a critical sun sometimes, you know. Well, and it's... Like all the fallen planets are uh, skeptical in a sense. Yeah. You know, it's like things don't just come handed easily to fallen yeah. planets. So they don't have that sort of innate sense that like... I can trust people and everything's going to be mm-hmm. okay. And everything is, you know, in its right place in the world. It's like fallen planets have that awareness that things are not all right in the world. Yeah. And that people who, you know, kind of have rose colored glasses on about it are like, you know, planets that fall, look at that. And they're like, do you live in the real world? You know? <laughs> yeah. Do you see how broken things are? <laughs> yeah. They're not under the illusion that, you know, the, the sort of um, cream filled center of, life is uh where life actually is uh you know they mm-hmm. kind of live on the fringe and that's uh where in my opinion like all the interesting stuff is and i think that's why you know when you look at popular culture so many of our our main characters are like they're outsiders or they're orphans or they're misfits or they're anti-heroes you know like those are the characters that we find compelling like our main characters are never just like, you know, here's somebody who just had everything nice handed to them from birth and has never had to face any adversity and, you know, just fits in nicely with everyone and is super popular. Like that's, it's not interesting to follow yeah. these character arcs because there's just, no. there's not really much of an arc to be had. I feel like if anything, they're the character that um, sometimes, which actually I don't know. I don't know. Do you know a bit about uh because, I mean, Mulder's like a, in one sense, like a very, I think he he's considered to be like a good detective, you know? He's very good. Uh, yeah, he's an excellent investigator. Yeah, he's just uh, into some weird stuff that like the, the FBI can't really take too seriously, at least officially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they kind of hand him all that, that, that sort of backdoor secret stuff. Um, or he's getting handed it by Mr. X, right? He's, he's handing it to himself. And yeah. yeah, he has like, you know, Mr. X is like giving him the, the rain to do that. Yeah, he's he's getting the rain to do it because of his connections, which is something that I'm going to get into because there are a lot of a lot of mitigating factors in this chart as well. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not all just paranoia and spookiness and being a misfit. He's got a lot of privilege, too, when you think about it. And that 
that comes up in his chart too. But uh, yeah, Mercury is being sorry. No, no, go go ahead. What were you going to say about Mercury? Which is uh, like Mercury is ruling the first house, and it's in Scorpio, and it's uh, how is that exact? Uh, I guess it's just a brain. It's within a degree of a conjunction with Mars in Scorpio mm-hmm. uh, in a night chart. So I mean, it's it's basically it kind of has like the dignity of Mars in Scorpio in a sense. Yeah, as Mercury absorbs, you know, the it's such an impressionable planet. It takes on the character of you know yeah. whatever has the most influence on it, and it's also. Um, in terms of sect, uh, Mercury is of the sect in favor. It's an evening star in this chart. So, Wait. yeah, when Mercury is an evening star in a night chart, then it is in sect. So this is, you know, a nighttime Mercury in a nighttime chart. So it feels at ease in this chart. I mean, I don't know if at ease is really the best way to describe Mulder, but hopefully you understand what I mean. <laughs> Yeah. It's like it's where it's supposed to be in a sense. It's not yeah. at ease, but it's not supposed to be. It's it's where it's it's in a place where it can function and do its job well. Yeah. It's uh compatible with its environment. Well, it's a little easier. Yeah. Tran- things translate uh yeah. easier, smoother. And it's also looks like it's outside of the beams of the sun, which is mm-hmm. always nice for Mercury. Yeah, it's a rare rare situation when that happens. Yeah, it's usually which in Mulder's case, it is retrograde, which is appropriate. Yes. Uh, yeah, Mercury spends so much time not visible. But yeah, it really does spend so much time not visible. And yeah, the the retrograde is also interesting because you know the X Files are a lot of the the cases in the X Files are sort of forgotten or you know they've they're like unsolved and they've they stretch far into the past and there is that sort of like orientation towards the past mm-hmm. with retrograde planets so i feel like that's kind of appropriate for mercury retrograde and scorpio to be spending all of its time kind of digging through these dusty old forgotten files yeah just like taking a second look to like mm. like wait a second uh you know the stuff that, like everybody else kind of glossed over mm-hmm. wants to dig a little deeper into it yeah, Mercury retrograde is good at catching stuff that you missed the first time around. Oh yeah. One of the the other fallen planets I think is very interesting in Mulder's chart is Jupiter in Capricorn, mm-hmm. uh, which is separating from a conjunction with Saturn in Capricorn, and Saturn would be the most challenging planet in Mulder's chart because he was born at night, um, and Saturn is the daytime malefic, so. You know, Saturn being being kind of cold and restricting is like extra cold and restricting at night and just a little mm-hmm. bit more extreme and harder to handle. Um, so I I find it really interesting that Jupiter represents the law. It represents authority. It represents, you know, elected officials. Um, and, you know, if, if you think about like a, uh, I guess, well-functioning Jupiter um, you know, you might picture a government that is functioning well and that, you know, serves its people. Um, you know, Jupiter is a very social planet on a large scale. It's not so much about, you know, one-to-one socializing as it is about like groups and organizations and society at large. And, you know, those kinds of um, social dynamics kind of going smoothly and, um, you know, people in authority, you know, behaving in a way that is just and of service to, you know, the the people that they're supposed to be working for the benefit of. Um, but then, you know, Jupiter 
in fall <laughs> is kind of an appropriate symbol for the government as it exists in the X-Files universe, which is extremely corrupt and extremely mm -hmm. conspiratorial. Yeah. You know, this is not a just government that Mulder is dealing with. And uh, the FBI is, you know, in, in the X-Files universe full of um, secrets that would absolutely shock you. Um, I mean, that might be to some degree in the real universe too. Yeah, which, you know, I think is... <laughs> I think like fallen planets can also have that tendency of like reading more into that too than, mm -hmm. than there actually is but in in the the x-files universe um he tends to be right a lot <laughs> yeah that's the funny thing about the x-files universe is that you know aliens are real in the x-files universe and mm -hmm. paranormal stuff does happen and there actually are these you know massive uh conspiracies um that Mulder does have clues about although getting the hard evidence is uh, often a challenge yeah there's so much to say about that. It's, uh, I don't know. I, I do always. I I really when I think about like government and law and stuff. I I think of Saturn and Jupiter as being uh, kind of a pair in creating that. Where Jupiter's kind of like your carrot, you know, when it comes to mm. managing the po the peoples, the benefits that you offer them, or the stabilization, you know, the positive benefits of living in a society, uh, living under law. The reason why we all benefit from that and don't resist it too much in general, but Saturn's more of like the, you know, the stick end of it, you know, defining the limits of what you are and are not allowed to do. And the FBI, I mean, it's a little more on that Saturn side, I would think in general. Yeah, where it's, it's not, you, you don't want the FBI at your door. Yeah. No, it's yeah. not an enjoyable, it's not a Jupiterian situation, you yeah. know, it's like Ju Jupiter at your door is, you know, more like uh I don't know, you know, the uh, representative from the political party you vote for, you know, bringing a sign to your door that you can put on your lawn or whatever. Whereas, you know, yeah, Saturn's a little bit more like law enforcement is here because you are in big trouble. <laughs> yeah. But even like uh, Jupiter separating a little bit from Saturn, like as Jupiter is being received by Saturn, which mm -hmm. um, in some sense helps the dignity of Jupiter in a sense, but it's like separating and it's kind of like... You know, Mulder's in the FBI, um, but he's kind of like, eh, what is this organization that I'm in? Yeah, it's not. The X-Files is not a very pro-government or pro-law enforcement show by any means. Yeah. No. Um, it's no. very, uh, very much, you know, law enforcement is corrupt and uh, Mulder and Scully are kind of like actually decent human beings who are, you know, trying to do something good with their lives. Um but they're sort of caught up in the midst of it. And, you know, there's sort of these moral dilemmas where, um, you know, they kind of have to work against the Bureau in yeah. order to do the right thing a lot of the time, which I think also fits with the fallen Jupiter. Against where it it's, within it. Yeah. yeah, you're like, you're working against the status quo in order to, like Jupiter represents justice and truth and all those great values. But, mm -hmm. you know, Mulder is living in a world of secrets and lies. And so he has to kind yeah. of resist that world and butt his head up against it, often at great risk to himself yeah. in order to, you know, reveal the truth and, you know, see justice done. I feel like I, I want to believe is such a Jupiter and Capricorn statement too. It's it like really it, is. It, it wants to be Jupiter so bad. Uh, and it is Jupiter. It's just like, I, but it needs proof. 
you know it needs cold hard facts to like back it back it up and it's it's ridiculously on point yeah it's so on point and even in like the fifth house too i remember uh scully at one point like it was like a theme in an episode where i think she asked uh Mulder if, if he had any hobbies and while you know scully is kind of like the main character things so so uh, focus on her and you get a sense that she has some sort of personal life. I don't think you ever get the sense that Mulder has a personal life. No, no, he, yeah, his, his whole life is pursuing this single minded mm-hmm. obsession. There is no, there is no personal life for Mulder. Yeah. And Jupiter's ruling the, the seventh. I don't, it's like never in any relationships <laughs> that, that I'm aware of. It's funny. He, you never see him sleeping in a bed. He's always, <laughs> when you see him at home, he's sleeping on the couch. Yeah. Like, oh, wow. Which I feel is really kind of fitting for Saturn in the fifth house, <laughs> ruling the fifth house. We're like, you know, the fifth house is how you relax and get comfortable and feel pleasure and enjoy yourself. And, you know, bed mm-hmm. is a very fifth house location. Um, yeah. And he doesn't sleep when <laughs> he's just like, he's at work even when he's sleeping. He just crashes oh, yeah. on the couch, you know, in his dress shirt or whatever, like comfort is not uh, a motivation for him Mm -hmm. there's also a signification of saturn that comes from um my favorite second century hellenistic astrologer vadius valens uh in his significations of saturn he he writes that it indicates deceit secrets and the concealment of treachery Mm, which is just such a delicious sentence for it's my, my favorite Saturn significations. Oh yeah, it's the best. And it's like yeah. um I think that really fits for having a very Saturnian Jupiter, where you know, Jupiter in its sort of ideal state represents, you know, authority that acts fairly and truthfully. And in Mulder's case, authority is concealing treachery, secrets, and deceit uh, mm-hmm. that he's trying to get to the bottom of. Also, I mean, the uh, Mulder has Venus in Virgo on the Ascendant. And it's also like overcoming Saturn and Jupiter by a trine pretty tightly. Yep. And uh, I don't know, it like adds to like the sort of um, justice seeking element. I know that's not a specifically Venus signification, but like it's a bit of a, a greater good sort of um, mm-hmm. vibe having like both benefics there. Actually, no, they're not quite enclosing Saturn. They want to. <laughs> <laughs> I think they want to bonify Saturn. Um, and succeeding a little bit. Yeah, if he was born just a, a few days earlier, yeah, he would have a benefic enclosure around Saturn, but he wasn't, so he just gets to be super paranoid all the time instead, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Venus is also like ruling the ninth too, which I feel like uh, just adds to like the, it's like the, maybe Jupiter and Capricorn on its own, maybe depending on, Situations might give up, like might give up seeking out the truth and might just like submit to Saturn and be like, like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll play, play by the the government agenda, you know, whatever. But, um, the fact that he's like still like seeking the truth, you know, the truth is out there. I feel like it's like, a Venus is like, Hey Jupiter, remember the ninth house? You, you do that pretty well. I like trying to help out. Well, it is, it's almost a religious conviction and, um, yeah. in, in a, episode four of of season one uh that is the first episode where you hear the line i want to believe and it's in a Mm -hmm. specific context um it's not 
that the the line isn't stated in the context of Mulder wanting to believe in aliens. It's actually a lot more specific than that. And the first time we hear the line, Mulder's actually sitting in a church. So, you know, as as uh, people probably gathered from my little story time, um, what kind of drives Mulder to this sort of extreme obsession with these weird cases is that he believes his own sister was abducted by aliens when they were children. And, um, you know, it tore his family apart. And he forgot the event, but he went to like a, a hypnotist who does, you know, like regression hypnosis therapy or whatever the technical term for it is. And so at the end of episode four, Scully actually dredges up the tape uh, that records his session with the hypnotherapist where they go into his repressed memories. And uh, he's talking about as if he's 12 years old again on that night when his sister disappeared. Um, and, you know, he he talks about hearing this voice in his head that's saying, you know, she's going to be okay. She's going to return. Don't be afraid. And the hypnotherapist asks Mulder, um, do you believe the voice? And he says, I want to believe. Mm-hmm. And that's where that whole line comes from. It's it's yeah. not like I want to believe in the paranoia. It's that I want to believe that my sister's okay. I want to mm-hmm. believe that the beings who abducted her are actually like telling the truth and she's going to come okay. She's going to be okay and she's going to come back to me. And that whole scene, it sort of goes back and forth between Scully listening to the tape and Mulder sitting in a church looking at a photo of his sister and crying. Mm-hmm. It's like a really moving scene in the show. Um, so yeah, I feel like that, you know, Venus in fall ruling the ninth house and this sort of like, it is, it is almost a religious conviction that he has. And, um, it's often faith rather than reason that drives him, even though he's very, he's a very good investigator. He's very good at using reason. That's not really the thing that's driving him forward. Mm -hmm. Um, it's love. It's yeah, it's love. It's Venus that's driving him forward. Yeah. But it's like a kind of a, I mean, it's Venus is challenged in, in Virgo, mm-hmm. similarly to Jupiter in, in the sense that it's a little too practical, a little too critical. It's a little too, um, like it needs constant reassurance. Yeah, it's not like Venus and Pisces, you know, in, in its opposite sign, in its exaltation. Venus and Pisces is very good. the beauty at, of everything. Yeah, and very good at, you know, Venus and Pisces would probably hear that voice and go, okay, everything's going to be fine and feel very certain of it. But Venus and Virgo has a very unsettled energy. Mm-hmm. It's not at ease. It's a little anxious. It's a little preoccupied. It's a little high strung. And yeah, it needs concrete. Virgo needs concrete proof or concrete evidence. You know, yeah. Venus... Venus and Pisces is more idealistic about love. Venus and Virgo is like, I need you to show me that you love me and that this love is real in a very tangible way. Mm-hmm. God, you you actually, you did a, a, I'm really impressed. You did a brilliant job rectifying this. Because I mean, the ruler, Mercury is in the third house of siblings. That was uh, my... Like, that yeah. was the had to be, yeah. And then like Mars, Mars is uh, it's ruling the eighth, right? Um, you can get like abduction in the eighth, you know, things yep. disappearing, things going missing. Um, yeah. I'm Mars in the eighth and I'm, I'm losing stuff all the time. <laughs> um, but also conjunct Neptune, like something from out of this world literally mm-hmm. made the, the sister, you know, disappear. Where is the sister? I can't, you know, she's still there. 
Is she even on this planet? Yeah, like with with yeah. Neptune, with the outer planets, I think it's important to, you know, remember that we didn't know that Neptune existed for thousands of years. Uh, it wasn't until very, very recently in human history that we were able to see Neptune. Um, you know, only after the scientific revolution were we able to actually look at these outer planets. And so symbolically, they represent things that are far outside our everyday understanding. And, you know, Neptune in particular is sort of like this realm of unreality where, you know, the, the rules don't make sense and up is down and down is up. Or things are truly alien. So, you know, for Mulder to have this really significant conjunction of two personal planets with Neptune makes a lot of sense. And, you know, the way I rectified his chart, my my first, I, I got lucky in a way. Mulder, at, because he's a fictional character, his motivations are like a little easier to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, like real, yeah. real live people. It's really tough to figure out like, what is the main driving force in my life? I don't know. It changes every Most people don't have years. one. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah, yeah, we don't have one. Like we might not even have one at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do, it, it's subject to change all the time. You know, we have more than one at a time sometimes and they conflict with each other. And, you know, when you're just trying to tell a story, your character often has clearer motivations than a real person does. Yeah. So, you know, the idea of the planet that rules the first house is that it is sort of like the captain of the, of the chart. It's the captain of the ship. It's the one who's giving the entire chart direction and steering it in a particular direction. Mm-hmm. So where I, I didn't use any sort of traditional methods to rectify this chart. I just started from, okay, what is the overarching motivating force in Mulder's life? And that is solving the mystery of his sister's disappearance that drives mm-hmm. him more than anything else. And so I thought, well, the ruler of his first house needs to be in the third house then because the third yeah. house represents siblings. So I played around with it for a while and there were a couple of options like Leo rising would also um, put the sun in the third house. Mm, but yeah. when I was playing around with it, when I landed on Virgo rising, I was like, this one makes the most sense. It puts the ruler in the third, which is Mercury. And it puts that Mercury Saturn Neptune conjunction yeah. <laughs> as like that whole, like three headed is monster is, like, that's rule, Mulder. is Mulder. Mulder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's his personality. That's, that's his whole personality. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm like excited. I don't know. I'm like too excited. It's, it's like, oh yeah, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> this is yeah. the truth. The truth is, it's, it's right here. I found it's, it. It's Mulder's birth chart. <laughs> Mulder's um, real. Mulder is real, everyone. Um, yeah, the, uh, the other thing, of course, is that having Virgo rising uh, puts Venus in Virgo in his first house. And there's sort of like an ongoing joke through the series that like Mulder's got like a little bit of uh, a thing for sexy magazines and, you know, not, not safe for work materials. Um, I believe that. Yeah. yeah, And it like, he doesn't really make any effort to hide it. Um, (laughs) You know, like Scully will walk into the office and he's just like reading dirty magazines and stuff. (laughs) So like, so I just I thought that's so funny. Like that. Venus is in fall, but it's like in the first house. So he's got this like he's there's a way in which he's very Venusian. Like to the audience, he's certainly oh, like yeah. a weird Venusian where like he is charming and lovable to the audience. To 
the characters in the show, they're all like, he's a weirdo. We don't take him seriously. But to the audience, like, he's always making, like, really inappropriate jokes. Um, <laughs> but, like, he's just, you know, him and Scully will be, like, investigating a case and someone will have, like, died a tragic death and, like, you know, <laughs> left behind a bunch of grieving family members. And Mulder will make, like, some really off-color joke about how that person died to oh, Scully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, Mulder, why? But yeah, it's, very, it's very Venus and like Yeah. Cynical, sort of off-color, even, like, gallows humor sometimes. Gallows humor, yeah. He's, like, mm-hmm. sarcastic and, yeah. like, you know, it's literally the first line is... Nobody down here but the FBI's most unwanted, like just that yeah. kind of like self-deprecating humor, even. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, Venus represents humor, and in in Virgo, it's a little bit more of a like edgy, cutting, unusual, sometimes not at the right time or place kind of humor. Yeah. Well, and there's like a vague, like kind of flirtatiousness sometimes to the way he Yes. He can turn it on, you know, when he needs to. Yeah. And yeah quirky sex appeal that that i mean Mueller obviously has oh yeah like he's hot yeah. yeah he's he's hot he's like he's charismatic but just in such a weird way he's not at all traditionally charismatic and so i just feel like that venus in the first is just it's fitting and there's like a moon and sag vibe too there's like a um mm-hmm. i always think of top gun when i think of, of sagittarius which is not what Mulder is but like there's that sort of like cockiness yeah sagittarius yeah he's got that confidence yeah there's like a subtle like i would think of a dude uh not a finger bang but like (laughs) you know like a hey you know doing one of those and like guns yeah doing a little finger gun yeah hey there kitten I don't know, being a creep, I guess. But no. <laughs> is he Mulder's not a creep? Yeah. That's the thing. No, like, he's not. He can. That's part of why. He's like, spooky. Yeah, he's he's <laughs> creepy in the sense that he you know likes ghosts and aliens and zombies and whatever. But like, yeah, he's not he's not a creep in like a romantic or sexual sense. And yeah. so that's why, like, in a way, you know, when you when you see him, when you see his like you know porn collection or whatever uh you know Something on the show it's about just, it. yeah it's like kind of innocent like he's not he's not actually like harassing the fact anybody. that he's not hiding it makes it yeah like, just more like oh yeah i mean single dude appreciates the uh, naked women's and it, and scully just makes jokes about it all the time yeah so yeah it's <laughs> i mean like kind of that like i don't know he's watched the show which i'm you know i haven't watched it since i was like a teenager really and i've been in the process of rewatching it it's a show a freaking great show <laughs> dude uh that like weird sexual tension with with scully it's always kind of like under the surface it's mm-hmm. it's like tasteful you know even when it seems like he might be like maybe flirting a little bit it's like not he's not really overstepping any any lines you know it almost i mean it's interesting and I, I i don't know i've also i grew up watching the show but i've only uh started re-watching it recently so, you know, maybe some of the things I'm saying, you know, in later seasons are not quite as true. I'm just like starting the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so so I apologize if, it, if I've at all mischaracterized him, you know, if in later seasons he does something like genuinely creepy. I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, um, yeah. he might. I but I, I feel I know that there was like. I think we got to hold him to the 90s standards, too. Yeah, unfortunately, it was also the 90s. Um 
which, you know, I don't think is an excuse, but yeah, no, I know, you know, there's that sort of like time period awareness. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think like it was Chris Carter's intention for them to be romantically linked. Um, and that, you know, I think for the first, you know, when it was still a new show for the first while, you know, there was that, like, that was a big discussion among fans, like, will they or won't they, you know, are they into each other or not? Um, Cause they have such great chemistry with each other and they so clearly yeah. care about each other, but it's like, it's really hard to pin it down um, mm -hmm. because there are also just a lot of moments where it really feels like a sibling relationship, Yeah, which would also fit with Mulder's chart with, you know, this, you know, three planets and Scorpio, you know, ruling his ascendant in the third house. And he's got this, like, like when he puts his hand on Scully's shoulder or like there are moments where like, um, you know, they've just been through something really tense and he kind of like pulls her in close and they kind of like walk away from something together. It feels mm -hmm. more like he's being sort of like a protective sibling yeah. than someone who has a romantic Surrogate interest. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, he's probably, you know, projecting a little bit of his little sister onto Scully mm -hmm. and, you know, doesn't want anything to happen to her because he'd have to relive that pain of not being able to protect his sister. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, uh, I really can't remember what does happen with them romantically, if anything, but, um, well, I'm not going to actually really wanted, wanted them to get together. I don't know, but yeah, that's I, also I sort of really part of it. like a good long-term relationship is that there is like, um, you can kind of play multiple roles, you know? Yeah, each other. that is true. Yeah. And they're like, they're friends, they're coworkers, you know, they're work partners. They're, they're a lot of things to each other. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, an increasingly, uh, corrupt and untrustworthy universe, you know, that's the only person they can trust, which I think is probably why I love the show so much was that like, mm -hmm. there's something comforting about Scully and Mulder because they can oh, always yeah. rely on each other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though they live like in, like their fictional universe is messed up and yeah. you can't trust most people, you, you know, in it, but um, it's like, no matter how messed up the world around them is, the, mm -hmm. their relationship is like an anchor. Yeah. That was very comforting to me as a child, I think was, you know, this, this idea that like there are people in the world who can be sort of like your port in the storm that no matter how crazy things get, you know, that, that person can be relied on. Yeah. Yeah, they're very like, safe for each other. Yeah. Um, one one last thing I want to mention about Mulder's chart before I I'll just briefly talk about um, some of the some of his life events and how those connect to his chart. Um, but the the last thing I want to mention is, you know, as much of a oh, an outcast and sort of a fringe person as he is, he does have like some you know conditions of bonification. Uh, to use the, you know, astro jargon uh, going on in his chart, mm -hmm. yeah. which, you know, represent like luck and opportunities and privilege. Um, in particular, you know, he's got uh, Venus bonifying the moon and Saturn and Jupiter. So Venus is in Virgo. Um, it's making it's it overcoming benefic. yeah it's it's a night chart and venus is the night benefic um so you know the the nicest planet in a nice chart generally speaking will be venus and venus is squaring uh the moon in sagittarius 
So bonifying the moon and Venus is trying uh, Saturn and Jupiter and Capricorn. So bonifying those planets as well. And I find that really interesting because like Mulder gets a lot of leeway to do stuff that most people would not be able to get away with doing. Oh, yeah. You know, in the first episode, he reveals to Scully that like, you know, the only reason he's allowed to keep, you know, having an office at the FBI and uh, pursuing the X-Files is, you know, that he's made connections in Congress. So like he's got friends in high places and Mm -hmm. uh, the benefics, Venus and Jupiter in a chart can definitely represent um, friends in high places who uh, benefit the owner of the chart in some way. Um, so, you know, he's got like authority figures in his life who are kind of like looking out for him and, um, giving him opportunities and like he, he gets into trouble and he just gets bailed out all the time. Like he flagrantly breaks the law and gets bailed out again and again, you know? Yeah. And you never know who his, his kind of secret allies are, you know, and the ruler of the 11th is the moon and Sagittarius in the fourth. There you go. It's like, he knows who they are, but, uh, you don't. No. Well, he doesn't even House always know. The, but. Yeah, that's, yeah that, no, that's fair. That's a really good catch. So Mulder's 11th house is Cancer, which means it's ruled by yeah. the moon. Um, and the moon is being bonafide. And the 11th house represents, you know, allies and mentors and people mm-hmm. in positions of power who benefit you in some way. And he's, I mean, in a way, he is very privileged. Like, he's an FBI agent. He's making lots of money. Um, you know, he gets like free reign to basically run around the country, just doing whatever he wants, like following his passion projects. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as, as much as, you know, his life is challenging and, you know, he's, he's kind of, uh, an outsider within the FBI, you know, when you think about him relative to, you know, maybe the average American, you know, he does enjoy quite a bit of, of privilege. Yeah, no, for sure. Most molders out there are, um living, you know, um, way more on the fringe, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's on the fringe of the FBI, but he's in the FBI. Exactly. The he's most, still like, there. Powerful in agencies in the world, really. Yeah. Yeah. He's still got, he's still got a ton of power. Yeah. And, you know, you see that contrast a little bit in the show where, you know, you see, um, him interact with, you know, some of the quote unquote little guys, you know, the people who are like, you know, believers in in UFOs and, you know, have like photos of their UFO sightings and whatever. And he interacts with these characters in like small towns who, you know, they're like, they don't have nice clothes. You know, there's one one character who, who shows up a few times in the show who um, has actually been, you know, abducted by aliens and, um, you know, he's involved in, in all these organizations, um, you know, set it, setting out to prove that aliens really exist. But he's just like he's living in a trailer and like, you know, he's he's like kind of he's like a genuine social outcast in that universe. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't have powerful connections. He doesn't have the kinds of benefits and status that Mulder has. Oh, yeah. And so you see that when they interact, you start to see that contrast a little bit. Like, oh, yeah, he's not just like an average dude who believes these things. Mm-hmm. An average dude who believes these things is going to have a very different experience than he does. Yeah. I have one more quick one. That's a fun one. Go for it. Mercury, you know, is conjunct the ruler of the eighth house. Um, oh, yeah. It's like retrograding away. And he's constantly uh, just narrowly escaping death. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's 
like happening all the time. He's always getting into dangerous situations, you know, drawing his gun and stuff, but like just narrowly escapes. That's a really good catch. Yeah, the eighth house, you know, represents death and... Which in like real life is like not like a little sometimes. I don't know, but but sometimes it really shows up like that. It's yeah, funny. and the ruler of his ascendant, you know, the first house is is the life and the body, you know, and mm-hmm. and and you know your survival basically. And the ruler of the eighth house is conjunct the ruler of the first, which you know, in in this genre, like in an average person's life, you know, that's probably nothing to be afraid of. But, you know, if you're genre aware, if you're like, I'm an FBI agent in the X-Files universe, and you see that in your chart, you might be like, that's a little worrying. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm literally running into death constantly. Like my whole yeah. job is is chasing, you know, situations that could get me killed. Yeah. Which, if you're in you a know, lot of situations where yeah. <laughs> I would definitely be interested if, if the aspect is applying or separating in that specific situation. Um. Yeah, I should check. Hang on one second. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's separating because Mercury is retrograde there, but I will check for sure. Yeah, it's 7 degrees 54 minutes, and Mercury is 7 degrees uh, 20. Yeah, it's it's, 9 minutes. It's separating. Mm -hmm. They're 12 minutes apart, and Mercury is separating from the conjunction. Yeah, that's very interesting. He's just like constantly like Mercury retrograde and Mercury is such a slippery planet too, just like mm-hmm. slipping through the hands of death. Oh, and then, well, maybe you have to watch the show to find this one out because Mars also rules the third. Does he ever find his sister? Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun is dun, she dun, still alive? Mm-hmm. So events in his life, when I started looking at, at his life events, I got really excited because they fit his chart super well. And it made me feel like I'd done a good job with my very just like bare bones rectification. No, it, it's not it's not this easy with real people. It's a lot easier with fictional characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They're a little less uh, three-dimensional and self-contradictory. Real people are more compl- complicated. Yeah. All right. So uh, there are dates for a number of significant events in Mulder's life. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is uh, the night of Samantha Mulder's abduction. And using annual perfections, um, age 12 is a first house year. So the first house and its ruler uh, will be emphasized in a first house year. And of course, the first house ruler according to my rectification, is in the third house of siblings. So you might predict that um, a first house year would be a really significant year, not only for Mulder's sense of identity and purpose, um, but also for his relationships with uh, siblings. And that was exactly the year that Samantha was abducted. And the night of the abduction... Um, Mercury, which rules Mulder's first house, uh, was transiting through his third house. So he was having a Mercury return when Samantha was abducted. He was about halfway through his Mercury return. Um, So the night that it happened, Mercury was in Scorpio and just, you know, passed the conjunction with that Mercury-Mars-Neptune combination in Mulder's chart. That's nuts 
Right? <laughs> That's like, it's like it really happened. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's like it, it was it, planned. <laughs> I, it's making me like really question the nature of reality right now. I know, right? <laughs> in some ways, I want like in, uh, you know, it's because I did a lot of uh, acid at one point, but I <laughs> wonder sometimes if like things like this uh, are more real than uh, a lot of people's lives in some sense that, in that they exist in so many people's imagination that mm -hmm. uh, the, like they're kind of the equivalent of, of real because they're so relevant to people's lives, these fictional mm -hmm. characters and the events of their lives. Yeah. And somehow astrology reflects that. Well, and I guess, you know, I, I kind of think of astrology as being sort of like it's, you know, a way of, of talking to higher powers, as it were, I guess. Um, and, you know, if yeah. if higher powers want to talk to you, if, you know, if there's some sort of spiritual consciousness out there that wants to talk to you, um, it can do so through whatever it wants, whether that be fictional characters or, you know, anything else. Um, so, you know, maybe it's... Uh, a way of saying like hey this story is really this is really significant this is a story that that resonates with people it strikes a chord with people oh yeah i mean it, it's in a it is i think i mean it's such a culturally mm -hmm. relevant show um i know like it's funny because with my son there's like a lot of um stuff that i know you wouldn't necessarily be particularly interested in or but i just sort of see as kind of culturally yeah. mandatory um stuff that you just need to read or see to just be fluent in the culture in, in some respect and i think the, the x-files is one of those things where you know having a basic awareness of what the x-files mm -hmm. is i mean it's kind of unavoidable just from hearing it hearing about people talk about it um it's such a, a cultural reference but um yeah i, I don't know that, that that makes sense and i mean uh, astrology can often point to um, when uh, a person, you know, a native or whatever, is going to uh, be important uh, to the culture in some sense, you know, and kind of imperfectly. It's not always like super consistent, but um, mm -hmm. you can sometimes see that. And so, I mean, it sort of makes sense that uh, that a fictional character, if they're important enough, <laughs> will have a, a very yeah. resonant birth chart. Yeah, and he was uh, he is an important one. Next event that I have a chart for is the chart for when Mulder actually joined the FBI uh, as a young man. And that one's pretty fun um, because using using annual perfections, uh, he was in a 12th house year. And uh, the 12th house in Mulder's chart is in Leo. So it is ruled by the sun, which makes uh, the sun a particularly important planet to pay attention to during a 12th house year for him. And the sun was part of a stellium in Scorpio, because of course it was in Scorpio, uh, going through his third house mm -hmm. when he joined the FBI. <laughs> all five, five planets oh, plus no, the south up. node were all sitting in his third house right on top of the mercury mars <laughs> neptune conjunction in scorpio and here is this you know gifted oh, wow. paranormal investigator sun pluto moon yeah, mercury sun. saturn and the south node they're all packed in there so i i enjoyed that and then using um and south one's in his tenth too yeah that's right 
And then, you know, using a, a more advanced technique of perfections, uh, I noticed that his second house uh, was also highlighted that year. And uh, it highlights uh, Venus in the first house, which is the ruler of Mulder's second house. So again, kind of pulling in those themes of identity and purpose uh, into that year, this is like a major shift for his identity. And um, But also the second house is a house that I think we shouldn't sleep on when it comes to career. Um, I actually, I'm noticing more and more that I notice oh, yeah. the second house being relevant to what somebody does uh, more so than the 10th or mm -hmm. the midheaven. Like over and over again, I see the second house um, says a lot about what somebody does as a job and you know a year where the second house is is highlighted because the second house represents what supports our lives you know our literal our livelihood you know our money our resources our assets um and how we get those things and how we maintain those things so a year where that house is highlighted you know it's kind of unsurprising to see like hey you know he that's a major promotion he's officially an fbi agent in this year and that will be, you know, for the foreseeable future, how he pays his bills. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of what people use the sixth house for uh, mm -hmm. nowadays, not that I don't think that the sixth house has anything to do with work. It, it you know, it does. I, I just think that a lot of those significations I would look to the second house mm -hmm. for is, is kind of like, yeah, just how you make your yeah. money, you know, which may or may not be, you know, connected to your reputation. Yeah. Which is more 10th house. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Or, you know, what you're called to do, you know, you're sort of uh, you're yeah. calling in the world. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And uh, the last event uh, from Mulder's <laughs> life that I have a chart for is when Agent Scully walks into his office. And this one is probably my favorite. Um, so Mulder... Ooh, there's a clock in the background of that episode too. Oh, there? you know what? I should I should look. I remember. I don't know why I remember that. I'm pretty oh. sure there is a clock. Do I mean if you want to go? Of course I it, do. That's, but that's I don't know, <laughs> it, if for some reason it's occurring to me and that's making me like. <laughs> All right. Well, I I'm not gonna do that right this second because um, that will take a lot yeah. of time. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely going to see if I can find an exact time for when Scully shows up in his office and they become partners. Um, so that event happened. I'll have to do a bonus episode <laughs> or something. Bonus, bonus episode, episode for the bonus, for the episode. bonus episode. Uh, where we have the... Yeah, where we do Ooh, Scully's chart. Fun. Makes me wish I had done Scully. Well, that, yeah, that'd be cool. But, you know, we, we got to have some like... I feel like the X-Files is horror, but your character's a little more like traditional horror. So I think that's... You know, yeah, it's not nearly as interesting. <laughs> I don't know. We'll anyway. see. Um, anyway, sorry. What was I saying? Uh, Mulder was uh, thirty years old when Scully uh, was assigned to be his new partner, and that was mm -hmm. drum roll, please, a seventh house year. Saturn. The seventh uh, house represents well, partnerships. partnerships, and. Um, yeah. If my rectification is correct and Mulder has Virgo rising, that makes Pisces his seventh house. And not only does Dr. Dana Scully have the sun in Pisces, but uh, at the on the day that she became his partner, the sun and Venus 
were both in Pisces transiting through Mulder's seventh house. Isn't that sweet? Oh. Yeah. Well, that's would that have been a Saturn return as well? Um, he wasn't having a Saturn return. He his Saturn this yeah his Saturn years. return had ended already because Saturn was in Aquarius okay. when he met Scully. Aquarius a bit there. Um, and his Saturn's mm-hmm. in Capricorn. So yeah, it was just after his yeah. Saturn return that Scully turned up, which is kind of funny because I do yeah. sometimes find that like, um, you know the the Saturn return happens and then. You know, there are sort of consequences of the Saturn return that occur later. And I oh, feel yeah. like Scully mm-hmm. is definitely a grounding influence on Mulder. So, you know, maybe through his Saturn yeah. return, he'd sort of matured enough that, you know, the powers that be in the universe were like, okay, you can have Scully now. You're emotionally yeah. ready <laughs> to have, yeah. you know, a uh, a professional partnership Um and, you know, in a way, a more than professional partnership, because however you define their relationship, they grow extremely close and become. It's very seventh yeah, house. Yeah, it's like the, sure. that is, they are each other's confidant. There's no one else they can really trust yeah. and no one else. Like Scully mm-hmm. does have um, personal relationships with family members that you see quite a bit. Um, you know, even in the first season of the show, you, you, you know, you meet her parents and, um, you know, she's she's close with her family, but like you can't go home, you know, at Christmas and tell your family details of the top secret cases you're working on. Like there's a level of intimacy that you just can't have with most people in your life. uh, When you work the kind of job that Scully does that requires a high degree of confidentiality, but Mulder is the one person who knows everything, you know? Yeah. Kind of night chart or day chart, you know, it's like that after the Saturn return, it's like, yeah, you graduate a little bit. Mm-hmm. So Saturn opens up like some of its restriction a little bit. It's like, yeah. okay, you get to this next layer. It's like uh, releasing its grip a little bit on on Jupiter. Yeah. The ruler of the seventh. Yeah, that's right. Because Jupiter does rule his uh, his seventh house. Yeah, that's nice. It is nice. That makes me happy. <laughs> yeah, well, and and there on a on a happy note because you know Mulder's story is is full of dark twists and turns. But now I'm I'm I feel like I'm going to be watching the show now with this chart. Oh yeah, I'm going to keep it saved because that's uh that's good. That's that's wild. It's uh it's a little mind blowing actually. I have made a case for astrology. I, I know you made a better case with a fictional character than uh, <laughs> most people have with uh, with real people's charts. So. Well, I guess, you know, I've also made a case for uh, the importance and maybe to some extent the reality of fictional characters. You know, they live in, in our culture. They are they are real and alive to us. And, you know, they grow and change through the years with yeah. us. I'm going to do this with so many characters now because, you know, mine... Uh, it's like, oh yeah, but unfortunately, with my character, there's some controversy about the birth date. <laughs> so I just kind of had to pick the the most common one. Yeah, you always find the charts that have like controversial birth times that's, uh, and eight thousand. Yeah, you you know, <laughs> yeah, and you've got to like try to solve the mystery of you know when were they actually born and what is the real yeah, chart. Nothing, nothing is easy to nail down. But I mean, there's I don't know somehow there's a difference. And maybe we'll get into it. Uh, I think there's a difference between these two characters and maybe what they mean in the popular imagination. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, with, with that, we let's introduce my subject. <laughs> On the night of June 13th, 1946, 
16-year-old Pamela Voorhees gave birth to her first and only son. Baby Jason was the apple of his young mother's eye from the moment he took his first breath. But his father, Elias Voorhees, a taciturn and often violent alcoholic, struggling to scratch out a meager living as a coal miner, reacted to his son's birth with disgust. Jason had been born premature, his face hideously deformed, and hydrocephalus caused his skull to be abnormally large and misshapen. To protect Jason from discrimination and ridicule, Pamela raised Jason in isolation on the outskirts of the small town of Crystal Lake, New Jersey. But even in isolation, Jason was never safe from his father's increasingly naked hatred and aggression. Eventually, Pamela began hearing strange voices, voices which only grew louder the more abusive Elias became. One evening, guided by the voices, Pamela dragged an axe in from the shed and into the bedroom in which her husband slept. Raising the axe with one hand, Pamela shook her husband awake with the other so she could savor the look in his eyes before she sunk the rusted axe blade into his skull. For years, Jason lived with his mother, safely cloistered away from the hostile world which lay beyond the tree line marking the limits of the Voorhees property. She was his entire world, and he was hers. Until the day came, in the summer of 1957, when necessity forced Pamela to take a job as a cook at the local summer camp. Since Pamela had no alternatives for childcare, she enrolled Jason as a camper at Camp Crystal Lake and tasked the camp counselors with protecting Jason from persecution by the other campers. But on the afternoon of September 13, 1957, two lusty counselors snuck off for a bit of afternoon delight, leaving 11-year-old Jason alone with the other campers. The campers began viciously taunting Jason, calling him a freak show and attempting to cover his head in a cloth sack. Desperate to escape, Jason ran off of a dock and into Crystal Lake. Pamela, hearing her son's cries for help, came rushing from across the camp. But when she arrived, it was too late. Jason, unable to swim, had already disappeared under the waters of Crystal Lake. But his body was never found. Camp reopened the next summer, despite the controversy that followed the drowning death of one of its campers. But when the butchered bodies of two counselors whose negligence had led to the young boy's death were discovered one morning, the camp was abandoned. For decades, stories circulated around town, with many locals believing that the grounds were cursed. It wasn't until 1979 that an attempt was made to reopen the camp. It was not long, however, before the counselors taking part in the refurbishment of the grounds found themselves being picked off one by one by an unknown assailant. But Alice Hardy, the last of seven campground employees alive, managed to get the upper hand decapitated the murderer. The killer turned out to be Pamela Voorhees, bent on getting revenge on all counselors of Camp Crystal Lake for the death of her one and only son. Alice fled the camp in horror, leaving the machete and Pamela's lifeless head behind. Shortly after, a figure emerged from the forest. Jason Voorhees, having witnessed the death of his mother, had come to collect her head. His last link to humanity irrevocably severed, he silently swore that not even death would stop him from slaking his unquenchable thirst for revenge on the blood of anyone who crossed his path. His path.
yeah, so obviously I did uh, Jason Voorhees of the uh, Friday the 13th series, which is what? How many movies in that franchise? Like 10, 11? There's a ton. Oh, I don't even know. And one in which Jason goes into space. And I think it's maybe for that reason. I think that Jason Voorhees is a different kind of character in the popular imagination. It's a much more fantasy sort of character. I don't think we project Jason Voorhees into the real world the way that we might uh, with Agent Mulder. Mm. Yeah, we might we might see a bit of ourselves in Mulder and Scully. We probably don't really see ourselves in Jason Voorhees as much. That's you know what makes horror characters interesting is sometimes they're like they're so extreme and so outside of um, you know what yeah. we're used to. Yeah, but nonetheless, I mean the chart uh, at least going by what seems to be the most popularly accepted one. I think it uh, it fits pretty well. So I'll just go over it a bit. So I also did a little bit of rectification. Uh, I chose a, a Capricorn rising for Jason's chart because that would put put the out-of-sect malefic uh, ruling the first in its detriment in Cancer in the seventh house. Um, Saturn is at about 23 degrees of Cancer. Venus is just kind of separating from a conjunction with Saturn. Um, Mercury is also with Venus and Saturn in in Cancer. The Sun and Gemini conjunct the North Node. And the Moon in Sagittarius in the 12th house uh, applying to a conjunction with the South Node. Now, this uh, indicates that Jason Voorhees was born very close to a solar eclipse because... Um, the sun would be, or the moon would basically be, you know, in the shadow of, of the earth, um, because the sun would be the, on the opposite side. Now, visually in the sky, this uh, is what we call a blood moon. It's a rather ominous looking moon when the, the moon turns red. Freaked people out. It's been freaking humans out for thousands of years. So uh, it's pretty choice for a, for a horrible serial killer. Um, but like the moon uh, being eclipsed, particularly on the south node, you know, you do get a sense of like physical or even emotional diminishment, uh, loss. Sometimes you you know can show up in in the charts of like real psychopaths, and <laughs> like it's like the the uh, the emotions like aren't there, you know, like they're hidden, they're obfuscated mm. by the sun. It's actually a prominent uh, figure born on the following day. Uh, which I won't, won't, won't get into because I stay out of the politics. But <laughs> if you do your research, you'll know who I'm talking about. It might be a good example of that. Um, but anyway, we also get uh, Mars in the eighth house, the evil, evil eighth house. <laughs> Jupiter in Libra, hanging out with Neptune in the 10th. So anywho, this is a, a night chart, obviously. So we've got someone born at night, very close to a yes. lunar eclipse under a full, full yeah. blood moon. It actually wouldn't have been a blood moon until uh, the next day, like in the, the afternoon, day. and it would have been visible on the other side of the world. Yeah. But for astrological purposes, um, it's still fitting. If you see like the luminaries with a node or with both nodes, you know, you're looking at the significations of an eclipse in, in mm -hmm. a chart, which aren't always, yeah. you know, horribly negative, but... But in, if you're in a horror movie, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, this is another like genre, I think genre awareness is very important when you're analyzing your own birth chart. You know, like if if you if you sort of you know, live in a nice in? yeah, if you live in a nice neighborhood and like nothing much exciting goes on, and you know you were born during an eclipse, you know it probably means something. Um, you know, perhaps a little bit less extreme. But if you are like in a horror movie and you are a horror movie character and you were born uh, with, you know, the luminaries near the eclipse points, then you should be worried. <laughs> yeah. Because you know that people that should be worried about you. Is, yeah. That scriptwriter has plans for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, uh, I guess that's part of the reason that I chose Capricorn Rising. You know, it's putting Saturn uh, in its detriment in, a, you know, a complicated sign for Saturn and Cancer in the seventh house. Um, and really, the kind of main theme around Jason Voorhees' life is uh, revenge for his mother, which may not be super obvious with the seventh house, but the seventh house is the house of open enemies. Um, That's right. And... Uh, there's a good argument to be made for Aquarius rising too, because the sixth or the twelfth, you can, there's actually a lot of debate about it. Um, sixth can be like hidden enemies, the enemies that you, that you can't see, but so can the twelfth. Mm-hmm. Sort of overlap. I feel like in his case, the enemies were pretty obvious. Yeah. Well, but they're also, even after he killed them, <laughs> I think that the, the second movie begins with the the sole surviving character, the one that killed his mom, uh, being killed. And I'm, I'm actually not a big Friday the 13th fan. Uh, I found the backstory interesting. and mm-hmm. um, I like the idea of these movies. I like the idea of the characters, but slasher movies were never quite my thing. But they are a very Venus-Saturn thing. <laughs> like, uh, There's something about mm-hmm. uh, about the that particular kind of um, genre of slasher movies, which was very wrapped up in, in sex. There's a kind of weird sexualization of the violence that's going on, and that happens with all serial killers, really. I mean, usually real serial killers uh, do so because they achieve sexual satisfaction from doing so. So um, the Venus-Saturn conjunction is pretty uh, relevant there. But, you know, there's kind of a mixed uh, bag with that, too, because Saturn is being enclosed by benefics. Uh, Venus is separating by a couple degrees from Saturn and Jupiter is actually stationed in the 10th house sort of uh, hurling a ray back at Saturn it's at 17 degrees so Saturn has uh, aspects from benefics on either side of it without any other planets throwing an intervening ray and traditionally um, it's kind of associated with things sort of going your way and, and stuff like that and I find in practice is that what happens is that you still get like, you know, you'll still get like malefic stuff potentially. Um, still kind of get the problems. It's just that uh, they don't end up affecting you. Maybe they affect other people. <laughs> it's sort of like you get sort of protection from it, um, but sometimes at the expense of other people. Um, but it really kind of makes sense in Jason Voorhees' case where. Uh, the dude doesn't die like you, you, you know, even when he gets killed, he is resurrected in some way. I think in one of the movies, he ends up possessing the bodies of some other people after he's killed. But he, you know, kind of miraculously escapes death in some way. Like everybody thinks he's dead for what, uh, 20 some years. And he's actually just living in the forest 
It just it sort of ties in with um, the dispositor of the ruler of the first being in the twelfth house, uh, being the moon, uh, eclipsed by the south node. It's multiple significations of being hidden. I just I think that was uh, the piece that sold me on on your rectification of this chart is. Uh, you know, the ascendant represents your life force, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and its ruler, you know, is kind of any anything that's happening to to the ruler of the ascendant in a chart is sort of like, you know, happening to that person's life, to their body and physical vitality. Um, yeah. So for the ruler of his ascendant to be, you know, Saturn in detriment, you know, says a lot about how challenging his life is. But, um, you know, the fact that it is being enclosed by... Jupiter and Saturn, Jupiter and Venus, so that it's being sort of protected by Jupiter and Venus, mm-hmm. and he just he literally does not die. He just keeps yeah. coming back. is hilarious yeah. and and perfectly fitting. I feel like maybe you know we should translate a little bit of this astrological jargon we've been oh, using, yeah, so that you know people are are You're new much more or considerate not. about that than I am. <laughs> well, it's, they'll it's, figure I, it out. They'll they'll figure it out. They'll go, they'll Google it. Well, I feel like, you know, Hellenistic astrology is also one of those things that has a lot of jargon that people are still, yeah. you know, Hellenistic astrology is still sort of making its comeback after 2000 years or whatever. So, yeah, you know, I don't want to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about. There's some, there's some jargon that is not popularly known. So um, this is a pretty complicated concept to explain, but I'll do my best. Um, you know, if you're following along, if you're looking in the show notes at Jason Forhey's chart and you look at Saturn and Cancer it's at 23 degrees of cancer. So, you know, you think about every planet in this chart that could make an aspect to 23 degrees of cancer and how close they could get to an exact aspect. And the planets that make the closest aspect by degree on either side of 23 degrees of cancer are Jupiter and Venus. Venus is at 25 degrees of Cancer, um, so only you know two degrees away on one side of Saturn, and then on the other side of Saturn, uh, Jupiter is in Libra, and Libra and Saturn or Libra and uh, Cancer square each other. They make a square aspect. So you know, just a few degrees away on the other side, Jupiter is throwing a square aspect to Saturn, and so Saturn is just nicely cushioned. Um, you know, between an aspect from Jupiter on one side and a conjunction with Venus on the other, and no other planet makes a closer aspect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you it's it's not a super intuitive thing to spot in a chart, but you know, if you're following along at home and you're looking at your own chart or whatever, um, you know, get in the habit of looking to see like what are the closest aspects on either side of a planet. And if they're mm-hmm. both benefics, that planet's got like it's kind of in the lap of luxury. Um yeah. So it's a funny, you know, it's sort of contradictory where you have this very extreme like night chart, Saturn and detriment, but getting this nice little cushion from, you know, the soft fluffy planets, Venus and Jupiter. Yeah. Which are very conducive to life. You know, Venus and Jupiter are life affirming and life supporting. You know, they're about all the things that you need for life. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Jupiter brings the rain that makes food grow and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, I mean, I think in practice it, it plays out differently in lots of different ways, but... Um, yeah, in his chart it plays out as, you know, he's got kind of a messed up life, but he doesn't die. So. Yeah, the, I mean, the malefic is still there, and, you know, yeah. the, the malefic is, is 
it's being able to dish out lots of punishment, but it's not really, you know, as resilience. It, it, you know, it's really it's really hard to kill because it's protected. Um, yep. Yeah, it's like it's not a nice a nice planet necessarily. Yeah. But good luck getting rid of it. Yeah. But I mean, in practice, that you know can be more favorable for, for actual people. But you yes, know, I think that uh, it really depends on the context. Yeah, <laughs> the context <laughs> of your life, what you what you do with all that. Yeah. Who's writing um, the script of your life? If it's a horror writer, you're yeah. in trouble. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also just fitting for you know Jason is is masked. You know he he always has that hockey mask on. Or well, the second episode or second movie, he had a cloth bag over his head or whatever. But his face is always covered to cover a conceal a, a birth defect, you know, a physical deformity. Um, so when you get like Saturn, you know, feigning appearances, uh, disguising oneself. And then, you know, cancer just it very much deals with kind of the physical body a lot. And uh, also his life is very much wrapped up with his mother, you know, which the moon gets a lot of significations of the mother. And, you know. You see some difficult plants and cancer, just some cancer stuff going on. You know, you might see all, uh, some stuff tied in with not just mothers, but like nurturing parenting. You know, that's cancer is things going on with uh, the feelings and topics and subjects of of caring, of giving giving shits about people and people giving shits about you. And um, that was a pretty complicated topic for for Jason Voorhees. But so, I mean. You also get like Venus uh, is the ruler of the IC, you know, which carries some of the significations of the fourth house, sort of a floating mini fourth house a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't know if you do the exact same thing, but I mean, like if you have like the IC in another house than the fourth, uh, when it comes to topics of like home and family and stuff, I'm going to look at both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do that too. Even if it's not like super closely configured or, or whatever. Um, just you know, in case any anyone's unfamiliar with the term IC, it uh, it's the opposite of the midheaven. Um, yes, it's not always labeled. You know, when you cast a birth chart online, they don't always label um, the IC, and uh, it's it's sort of it's the inner heaven. There's the midheaven, and then there's the lower heaven, essentially. Yeah, yeah. A lot of charts don't cast the, the south node either. For some reason, we just don't want to yeah. pay attention to the the bottoms of things. <laughs> No, no, it's, it's all, like the, all about the, top. the ascendant and the descendant too. You don't always see um, the descendant labeled. Mm-hmm. You'll see the ascendant labeled. You know, if you're using whole sign houses, you'll see the ascendant labeled, but not always the descendant. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's sort yeah. of like, you know, we want to- about we me think, and, yes. what, and my social <laughs> media the, presence. It's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> like not, you know, not what goes on at home. Not what like, I want. Yeah. Not my relationships with other people. It's just, you know- yeah. What I look like to the world is what's important, apparently. It uh, tells you a lot about our culture, I think. Western pathology. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Not that I'm immune or, you know, not <laughs> guilty of it to some degree too, of course. But uh, yeah. And then Venus also rules, you know, the 10th house. And so, you know, it's Saturn is like maltreating uh, Venus. And Saturn uh, and Jupiter, you know, Saturn is overcoming Jupiter by a square. Um, mm-hmm. Venus is kind of escaping from from Saturn a little bit, but and I imagine I don't know. 
seems to get everybody in the end. But uh, it's so funny how that that whole relationship between Venus, Saturn, and Jupiter and his chart is really complex. Yeah, I mean, I guess in in a sense, it's like he's. Yeah, I mean, he's he's killing, he's hurting Venus and Jupiter, but Jupiter and and Venus are sort of protecting him. But yeah, in practice, it's like he's killing everybody, and nobody can really quite kill him. They can kill him for a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, they can delay just, him or briefly contain him. Yeah, he just keeps coming back, and it's like tied into his his tenth house. You know what, what's visible. You know what the movie that we watch, <laughs> where he's doing all that that nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know Jupiter, in a sense, if you were like a real person, you know he's uh, Jupiter's delivering some fame to Jason Voorhees. This is true. He is famous. He is a cultural icon. Yeah. And you know Jupiter gives uh, gives fame and status and authority up in the tenth house as your public image. So there mm-hmm. you go. It may not be uh, he may not be well known for good things, but uh, he certainly has cultural influence. Yeah. It's been a bit since I've done an episode of Killer Cosmos, but um, I think in looking at so many serial killer charts and uh, even the ones that I've done episodes on so far, it's like, uh, you know, benefics, a lot of times they stabilize and affirm nasty stuff. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll let you keep getting away with stuff for, for a long time um, if that's your prerogative to do not nice things. So, yeah, they're not always making things nice. Maybe making him nicer and easier for you. The birth time you've you've given him and his birthday, he would be born during both the day and hour of Jupiter. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's really all of them. <laughs> I mean, what he's, his whole life is all about uh you know, entertaining folks. He is an entertainer. <laughs> he is an entertainer. Yeah. Well, and I yeah. think of like when I see Venus conjunct Saturn. Um, you know, I think about unconventional pleasures and, you know, the sort Mm -hmm. of worst case scenario is, you know, um, getting enjoyment or entertainment, Venus significations from really Mm -hmm. dark and scary stuff, Saturn, um, which, you know, in maybe a, a less sinister way, um, you know, his chart maybe represents, uh, what horror movies do for us. We're like, we do, we, you know, play scary video games or watch scary movies for pleasure you know we go to a haunted house for pleasure venus is pleasure Mm -hmm. um you know venus conjunct saturn is like well i'm going to take pleasure in going to a haunted house and you know getting the shit scared out of me and seeing all kinds of dark spooky stuff um yeah fear or pain yeah fear getting enjoyment from fear or pain Mm -hmm. um there's a sort of catharsis that comes from that and there's a sense of like being able to sort of confront uh, the darker side of life in like a safe contained space, you know, it's like mm-hmm. the movie isn't real, you know, you can turn it off at any time you have complete yeah. control over the experience. Um, so yeah, I, I do think a little bit of that, you know, watching horror movies as recreation seems like a very Venus Saturn signification. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's definitely not going to always show up as, uh, you know, something like sadism, but, uh, you know, like Marquis de Sade, we were talking about earlier. You know, sometimes you'll see Venus Saturn in 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 charts of people like that. But there's lots of like healthy, natural ways that that plays out. You know, we all got to make peace yeah. with the fact that pain is a part of life and reality. You know, yep. Venus can be very helpful in in uh, making that more digestible. Yeah, you know, that Saturn stuff. <laughs> 
Yeah, there there are ways that all the you know restriction and pain can uh, you know play out in a nice healthy way between consenting adults, mm-hmm. and like you know that's kind of the nice side of Venus Saturn is like helping you, like yeah. you said, uh, you know, find a more pleasant way of dealing with those realities of life. Yeah, actually, I feel like this chart it really does a good job of describing uh, yeah Jason Voorhees and his life and stuff, but like what the what the character is doing for us you know mm-hmm. it's very much otherizing the 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 pain and, and like giving us pleasure it's in the seventh house you know saturn right uh, and venus and there's actually like a mutual reception like a mixed mutual reception with um jupiter is in the exaltation and libra of saturn and saturn is in the exaltation of right. jupiter and you know cancer right so they're kind of like exalting each other, sort of, uh, to some yeah, degree. Yeah, that might soften that relationship between them a little bit. Yeah, like in practice. Um, but yeah, it's like a, I don't know, it's like here's, if you're like sitting in the first house watching, you're kind of like looking across in the theater. I'm almost like imagining like a movie theater being the first house being like the seats to the movie theater, seventh house being like the screen, tenth being kind of like, the overarching purpose what it's all about you know it's about uh it's an out of sect benefic you know it's like maybe not the most uh tasteful form mm. of entertainment in the world but it is um you know nonetheless doing something for for people scratching some required itch something that uh, needs to be processed in some way I think horror movies I know that like when I'm feeling like particularly stressed out or you know having like lots of negative emotions I like horror movies a lot but there's something like cathartic about it it's like is uh I don't know something to like uh, purge or you know process heavy emotions or even like project them out into something else that's not has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. and even maybe give perspective <laughs> to, to you know the horror movie of your life is nothing compared to the one you're seeing on the screen I love the the metaphor of the first house being the audience and the seventh house being what's on the screen um, because the seventh house is the other. And it really is like, you know, it it fits Jason's chart really well that um, his identity represented by the ruler of the first house is um, wrapped up in the seventh house and the other where, mm-hmm. you know, his... He sort of doesn't have an identity of his own. Like his identity is like what he is to tell me who to be. Yeah, (laughs) Um, he's what we need him to be. You know, Mm -hmm. we need a we need a slasher for some horror films. Yeah, and uh, and I like I like the metaphor where you know you your first house is sort of like you sitting in the audience, and the the seventh house is is what's going on on the screen, and then I think of the tenth house as being kind of like. What happens when you get outside the theater and you interact with the public when that movie becomes a very like large scale cultural phenomenon, you know, and like everyone's talking about the latest Halloween movie and everyone's talking about it on social media. And so you go out and interact mm-hmm. with the world. Um, that's that's the 10th house part. You know, when I see the rule of the first and the seventh, that that uh often plays out as somebody sort of watching it's like they're kind of experiencing their own life it's like watching themselves through other people's eyes you know mm. um the there's kind of like a sort of projection equality it's like you're i don't know it's like you're watching yourself on a screen and actually a lot of actors have uh the ruler of the first and, and the seventh it's like playing uh the parts of other people you know they are whoever you need them to be yeah and their identity is very much wrapped up in who you think that they are and 
mm-hmm. degree that sometimes it's hard for them to tell the difference, which we all struggle with to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you also get like Mars in the in the eighth house, you know, ruin ruin the fourth house, um, and the, the mother is not only a serial killer herself in the house of death, but is also dead from decapitation. His story is so wrapped up in his parents. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which you kind of see all over his chart. And, you know, with like, uh, especially if this is a night chart and you've got the moon as the sect light, you know, sort of like the source of light in the chart. And the moon often represents parents, but it's like in the 12th house and conjunct the south node where it's kind of in this like dark place. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, the ruler of his fourth house is Mars in the eighth. And like, you know, the traditional in, in traditional astrology, the fourth house would be the father and the tenth house would be the mother. And I mean, you know, as we've discussed in or I guess we haven't published that episode yet. Sorry, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. You'll you'll find out. You'll, you'll all more reason out. to listen to to every episode. We need. Yeah, always. Um, forever, forever. Yes. Uh, yeah, traditionally the fourth is the father and the tenth is the mother. And, you know, I don't stick to that strictly because, yeah. you know, I'm not crazy about the old gender binary and everything, but I'll, I'll keep it in the back of my head. I tend to use... This doesn't end up working very well. Yeah. Um, I Yeah, I usually just sort of stick to the fourth house for both parents. But I mean, even if, if you were to use the traditional fourth is, is one parent and the tenth is the other parent... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fourth house ruler being in the eighth representing, you know, the parenthood being wrapped up in death. And then the 10th house ruler is Venus, which is, you know, stuck in that conjunction with Saturn Mm -hmm. um, that's ruling the chart. Yeah. (laughs) So it's just like either way, whether you use the fourth or the 10th to represent one or the other parent, you know, both parents are kind of represented by planets in some sticky situations. And, you know, his mother murders his father. So, yeah. Oh yeah. Again, do you know if you have things like this in your chart, please do not. It does. It does not mean these things no. for you. you. Your life is hopefully not being written by a horror writer, but <laughs> his was. So yeah. You know. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of the main juice that I had. I know there's probably some other things that'll occur to me later, but um, I and do his, have his. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, please. Oh, just that his midheaven is being ruled by Mars in the eighth house. Yeah. Yeah. So another, you know, indication of his public image, Mm -hmm. his, you know, larger purpose in the world is, you know, the death Death. planet in the death house. Yes. Yep. I guess I missed my true calling. (laughs) Having the ruler of the 10th and the Uh, (laughs) 8th. Maybe I should have been a serial killer, you know. It's never too late. It's never never too late to start. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you should just, you know, write horror movies. Yeah, that's part of why I'm not a great writer. That's part of why I started the Killer Cosmos, though. It's it's remediation for my chart. Yeah, that fits really well. The ruler of your 10th house is Mars in the 8th. Make a podcast about serial killers. Yeah. It's funny, though, like just on the subject of the 8th house. This is Halloween after all, because I would call that like if you were to give a, a genre to each house. I sometimes like to conceptualize the houses as like, oh, what genre movie is is this house? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the eighth house is, is horror. You know, you make it suspense thrillers as well. Like, 
but there's so much in the eighth that is not has nothing to do with death. It's like almost like there's a, a vibe. And kind of like distill all the houses down to like a vibe. Yeah. Seventh is also associated with death. Yep. The fourth as well. Even the twelfth. Yep. Yeah, you death find life everywhere. and life and death are <laughs> everywhere in the chart. It's <laughs> that's really yeah. what everything boils down to at the end of the day. The, the mm-hmm. two the two inevitabilities. Yeah. Birth and death. Yeah, I think the the fourth and the seventh are sort of underrepresented in the discussion of symbols of death in astrology. Yeah. The, sun, the seventh house is where the sun sets, you know, it's literally where the, the sun dies and then, you know, it reaches the the turning point at the fourth house. Mm-hmm. If you're tracking diurnal motion, you know, the uh, seventh house is it's the midnight. horizon and yeah, and then the fourth house is solar midnight where, you know, it's the darkest point of the day. Um, and that's sort of like the turning point where once the sun has crossed that point, then resurrection begins and then you're headed towards sunrise and, you know, the whole cycle of birth and death begins again. Yeah. But the fourth is sort of like the deepest part of the underworld, like right between that turning point. Yeah. Also, (laughs) getting off into the weeds a little bit, you know, (laughs) death, uh, death is like the one thing that you do like alone or, you know, you don't uh, get company necessarily, at least not with, you know, other tangible human beings. And mm-hmm. the fourth house is very much um, the the known secrets, the, the things that you know that maybe other people don't. Yeah. Experiences that you are very conscious of, experience vividly, but, you know, it's not uh, part of everybody else, not something that everybody else can see. Mm-hmm. And what's more, you know, what is death more than, than that? Well, it's got deep. <laughs> it, the eighth house is, I think, more like after death. Which is why you get uh, ghosts and ghouls and, you know. Yeah, mediumship and also inheritance and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, how does death affect the living? I think is a mm-hmm. big part of the eighth house. You yeah. Know, if people die. How does that change your practical life? Because it's the opposite of the second house, which is a very concrete, tangible house about resources, right? Like, you know, we share resources and we leave resources to each other when we pass away. And the eighth mm-hmm. house has a lot to do with that sort of concrete side of death. Yeah. Really, this, uh, and actually, take a quick opportunity to, because uh, next Halloween, because I really wanted this for this Halloween, my original idea, but, you know, didn't really have enough time to to send the message out in advance. So I'm going to do it now. Um, if anybody listening has an interesting eighth house placement, planet in the eighth house, or the ruler in a, an interesting place, or if you just have like an awesome ghost story uh, that you and you want to share your chart and, you know, Tristan and I can do the job of uh, <laughs> can figure out wh- where that might be showing up. Uh, please, 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 please share that because I would absolutely love to do that episode next Halloween. Yeah, that would be super fun. Just like spooky eighth house stories. Yes. As I do, I see it show up a lot with with people. I have uh you know, someone significant in my life who has uh, Venus ruling the first house from the eighth and mm-hmm. uh, has a very profound spiritual connection with the deceased. Yeah. And, you know, believes in ghosts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm very, I, I love that that stuff. Uh, I love hearing those stories. I'm very glad that I don't get that version of the eighth house where <laughs> I have to, to live it. I just, you know, to, uh, hear the stories. I want to hear the stories. Yeah, my my lot of fortune is in the eighth house, and uh, I'm you know still hoping that a a ghost will show up and be like, "Hey, I know where there's some buried treasure for you." 
And he means to like move mm-hmm. into a haunted house and the ghost is like, I know where the location of like some, you know, hundred year old riches are on this property. Let me show you. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Well, you have the. If I was a fictional character in a fantasy universe with a lot of fortune in the eighth house, <laughs> that would probably happen to me. But I live <laughs> in the real world, so it's yeah, not as likely. <laughs> I think they're just with the fourth house, like buried treasure too. But yeah, yeah, death and buried treasure being kind of symbolically connected. But I mean, we both have the ruler of the uh, the eighth and the seventh, and I don't get this, but you you have like more relationships with like spirits and, and that sort of thing in a sense. Right. Not with necessarily like eighth housey type spirits, because I think of the eighth house, I tend to think of like, you know, spirits of the dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that things would fall. Well, so I think the eighth house don't necessarily have to be formally living things. She part of like, you know, what's on the other side of the veil. Right. Yeah. Like what is, you know, that's where the the sun is beginning to set and sort Mm -hmm. of going going to the other side to the you know, world where things are that we don't see. It doesn't necessarily just have to be death. It could just be, you know, yeah, all of those kind of mysterious things that we can't fully understand. Mm-hmm. Can't quite see, make out. Yeah. Properly. I think uh, Mars in my eighth house just says, fuck off, ghosts. Yes, <laughs> Mars is scaring the ghosts out Thanks, of your Mars. eighth Appreciate house. Thanks, Mars. Appreciate that. <laughs> um, do you have anything to that? Because I have a... I did one little transit for Jason Voorhees. Oh, go for it. Sorry, we got way off track. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it was was an interesting conversation. Yeah. (laughs) It's Halloween-y. We're talking about, you know, the fourth and eighth houses and spooky astrology. Spooky, yeah. I want to talk about spooky stuff. That's like going to be like all year probably (laughs) with us to some degree. I only only want to talk about spooky stuff. I know, yeah. Uh, Okay, where do I have it here? So I did look at um, the date for Jason's death or uh, initial alleged drowning. It's uh, September 13th, 1957. All right. I got it. You got it. All right. And really, I'm just going uh, to read this off the cuff because I just pulled it up. So um, see what we see. So, I mean, do you see that there is, you know, the moon is on the south node in the fifth, but, you know, there's a kind of a repeat of the aspect in the sky, which is actually something when you see configurations, transiting configurations, when something is activated in your chart, even if it's not like in the sign or making an aspect to the planet in your chart, I do find that that like often shows up in your life in some way. Um, so like in this case, this would have been a 12th house year for Jason because he was 11 years old. And in this uh, rectified chart here, I have the moon um, applying to the south node in the 12th house. Oh, wow. Saturn is right there. Saturn, um, which, you know, the moon rules in his chart. Saturn is transiting the 12th house. um, And you also, the house placement of this configuration makes a little bit of sense where, you know, the the moon, the moon was in Taurus applying uh, to the south node, uh, similar to in his chart, which is going to happen multiple times throughout that year. But, um, you know, it does involve children uh, it's, it's, it's children uh, who are attacking him and causing him to run uh, into the water causing him to kind of undo himself to some degree 12th house and mm-hmm. uh, taking my if we take my time literally the south node is on the IC 
Right. Which really, if, if we're looking at, you know, the fourth house is having some death indications, it's uh, really the IC, which is like the bottom of the chart. And uh, in Jason's case, he became not visible to other people and people thought he was dead, but he really just disappeared under the surface of the water and lived in the woods for the next 25 years. Well, and there's... Um... The 12th house traditionally represents what happens prior to birth. Um, and I find, you know, when you're looking at perfection years, mm. uh, there's a sort of cycle where, you know, the 12th house, you know, as we've discussed the 12th house a lot on this show already, it represents endings, it's closure. Um, the first house is birth, it's new beginnings. So in a 12th house year, it's kind of like tying up all the loose ends. Um, and then a first house year is is getting a fresh start uh, or a bit of a rebirth, which, you know, for most of us is symbolic. Uh, for Jason Voorhees, it's mm. quite literal, where during his 12th house year, he quite literally dies, or at least seems to die, comes very close to death. Um, and a stage of his life dramatically ends. And he ends up, you know, coming out of that and... Uh, having a a new life in a sense yeah and saturn um naturally rejoices in the 12th house the 12th house and saturn have very similar symbolism mm -hmm. and it was saturn transiting through his 12th house during the 12th house year when yeah. he drowned sort of like you know here's here's the end of of this part of your life and you know soon you will begin a new phase of your life yeah in a really dark and creepy way because yeah. it's a slasher flick. <laughs> well, yeah. And I mean, there's even like a signification for drown. Like you could pull drowning out of Saturn and Cancer, you know? It's yeah. Very heavy and, and water. Yeah. A lot of the really old school significations yeah. for Saturn have to do with the sea and with sailing. Oh, yeah. Um, fishermen. It's interesting. I mean, it makes mm -hmm. sense because, you know, we, I mean, it's not something it's I would think about. the limit of the land. Yeah. And it's like traveling by sea is nerve-wracking because it's just you're surrounded on all sides by death and the unknown yeah yeah i mean you're do you're doing saturn when you're on a boat you construct this sort of little island uh to protect you from what's otherwise a extremely hostile environment for humans mm -hmm. but yeah um in this case you know saturn is coming to the planet that that uh, rules it kind of wanting to uh it's like saturn's coming for the rest of the story Mm-hmm. And you know, with the South Node, not always like so extremely awful and tragic, but um, you know, some sort of loss or diminishment or, you know, especially when it's being eclipsed, the moon being eclipsed, you know, something's gonna disappear. Something mm -hmm. then something's going away. The light is disappearing. Yeah. Yeah, Jupiter transiting the tenth, literally having a Jupiter return is interesting too, because mm -hmm. you were just starting to to comment on Jupiter rules jason's 12th house so it would have been you know one of the primary time lords yeah one of the most important planets to look at by transit during a 12th house year and you know the 10th house is your public image so there you go it's like he's having a jupiter return in the 10th house when jupiter is the time lord and this was sort of the moment that uh brought him fame yeah it's, i mean it's like uh, from what I've seen in the first movie. I think it's the first one's the only one I've really watched. And uh, it's really the the beginning of the story, in a sense. Um, you know, you get some maybe jibs and drabs, but you actually get, like, clips uh, from, you know, him drowning. So it's like the beginning of the visible story. 
Mm-hmm. The part that you, you know, you see. Yeah, that is when he he becomes seen by the world and acknowledged by us, the public. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the Uranus uh, transiting Pluto in his eighth house. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be such a, I mean, yeah, it's, you can pull meaning out of it, but I won't go there. It's, it's too broad of a transit. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's a long period of time. Yeah, but it is like, sort of adds a little bit of a additional, you know, background flavor, sort of like, this is the time, you know, if this is going to happen in the world, it's going to happen at this time to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> with these two, you know, with this, with Uranus sort of meeting uh, this generation's Pluto sign, you know, somebody in this generation is going to experience something wacky. I mean, it was pretty, uh, transits going on. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty, Actually, I mean, it, the movie itself was pretty, um, I think Uranus Pluto it was shocking. Yeah. Um, still is. It's like an unsettling movie to watch. I mean, now it's like we have seen worse at this point on special effects, but uh, the shock value it had was definitely uh, part of the, the gimmick, if you will, part of the appeal. I don't know. That's uh, more or less all I got. It's probably good for, for Jason Voorhees. So you got anything you want to add? No, I think I'm good. I think we've been we've been going for. This is a fun one, though. I'm like, <laughs> this is fun. Probably one of the more fun. Like I've always like I always have fun recording these, but this is like this is like more relaxing. I don't know. It's, it's like these are fictional characters, and we can just yeah. you know, play with them a little bit. Yeah, it's like you know there aren't any sort of um, it, no Jason Voorhees and Fox Mulder are not going to lose any sleep at night <laughs> over what <laughs> we've said about their birth charts. Yeah. But it's also like uh, kind of new too. I don't know. It's like I'm learning something new about astrology doing this. Is that wow? Yeah. This actually kind of shows up for these fictional characters. Yep. Yeah, the planets are always talking to us. It's like they it's they want to talk planets. to us. Yeah. Yeah. What are you guys doing? Cookie. Just telling us stuff. Cookie guys. <laughs> Making snide remarks about our lives. <laughs> I guess Mars. Uh, in the ninth, I don't know. It's like it just uh, actually, yeah. Mars is about to go through a death and rebirth because it's uh, the sun is applying to Mars. Oh yeah, it's and part so, of the synodic cycle of Mars. It's, yeah, there's going to be a shift in the Mars cycle. Yes, yeah, so a new Mars will be born. The first one must die. Yeah, it's got to plunge into the heart of the sun. That's another thing for for people who don't. Uh, who aren't familiar with the synodic cycles of planets. That's another fun thing mm-hmm. to follow as an aside. Um, synod uh, is a word meaning assembly. Mm-hmm. Um, so a synodic cycle is is any cycle of sort of meetings between two or more planets. And usually when we say it, we're referring to a planet cycle with the sun. Because um, you'll, you know, when you're actually stargazing, it's very obvious, you know, you'll sort of watch this star, um, you know, it comes up like with, uh, you know, Mercury recently uh, was an evening star and then you see it, you know, start to disappear into the sun and then it Mm -hmm. emerges uh, at a different time of day. So it's almost like, you know, the star falls into the heart of the sun and it burns up in this fiery furnace and then it's reborn and it appears at a different time of day. Yeah. Which is very, very cool and and beautifully symbolic. You can draw a lot of meaning out of those events. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I could, we could totally go into a discussion about that, which uh, 
Yeah, we should probably not just because <laughs> <No. laughs> it's too much for. We right end up now. talking about like everything in every episode. So. I know <laughs> we're everywhere. Yeah, it's chaos. It is chaos. Mars rule the people. It's <laughs> Mars Moon. <laughs> is no, it's, chaotic. that's it. it yeah, is... it's the moon is just like all over the place. Like yeah. it, it moves so quickly, it just jumps from place to place to place to place. Like we got to cover all the ground. <laughs> yeah, but Mars is like more directed chaos, you know? I'm going to point the yeah. chaos at something, at a target, and yeah. make it blow blow up. But uh, <laughs> the moon is, is more like, well, it's over here, it's over here, you know? Just, just blasting that chaos everywhere. Oh, yeah. And bringing you into it for, for hugs. <laughs> for hugs. Uh, thank you. Thank you to our listeners for uh, sticking through our chaos. <laughs> yeah. You got two two cancer rising hosts, you two moon ruled hosts. We're never just gonna totally stay on topic. <laughs> I do want to hear from the cancer risings. If you are a a Halloween fan, or just not, not of the series, but like a, of of Halloween, do you love Halloween? Do you love Scorpio season? Is this a fun time for you, Cancer Risings? Yeah. Or is it not? I would like to know that too. Actually, yes. more so because I have, uh, you know, now I'm just assuming that all Cancer Risings love Halloween. <laughs> that may not be true. Yeah, I want I want to know. Yeah. If if our fellow moon-ruled people take joy in the the Scorpio-y time of year. So, anything you want to plug, Kristen? Oh, right. Uh, I'm supposed to promote myself. <laughs> uh I am I am still as always doing uh hour-long birth chart readings over Zoom for 50 bucks Canadian. So, uh you can book a reading with me through my website, which is badsignastrology.ca. And you can also find me on social media. Uh, you can find me on Instagram or on Tumblr as Bad Sign Astrology. Awesome. And you? Yeah, uh, not a ton to promote. I am actually doing doing a, a pretty wild and crazy thing a little bit. So I have um, Uranus transiting for a second time, uh, the sun and Jupiter in my chart. They're, they're very much together. And uh, the sun rules my second and Jupiter rules my ninth. And uh, it's like an offering that I would like to do to Uranus or to just maybe in honor of that transit is uh, for a limited time until that uh, aspect goes exact, which is November 9th for me. Um, I'm going to be offering free uh, birth chart readings that are just you know you have the option of, of donating um it, it ties into <laughs> my chart too well and i was thinking you know i'm not super busy right now and i'd like to read some charts so you can book a reading with me at my website kylepierceastrology.com uh head on in and you know if you want to leave a donation that's always cool too but uh outside of that um you know my secret projects are always in the works and one day they will see light when the time is right and that's when you'll know about them yeah so um oh not nothing i was just gonna ramble (laughs) i was just gonna say when those secret projects emerge from the 12th house into the light of the first house (laughs) or the scorpio fifth house yeah I'll see it when it's ready, when I, when I decide <laughs> you can see it. And I let you. When you've earned it. Yeah. 
when I deem you worthy. <laughs> um, yeah, well, uh, thank you, Agent Mulder, and um, to a lesser degree, Jason Voorhees, for sharing your charts with us and your kooky, awesome ones. <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you all for listening. Happy Halloween, happy Scorpio season. Have a happy Halloween. If you have a question about astrology or about your birth chart in particular that you would like to hear answered on Astrology Hotline, please email us at astrologyhotlinepod at gmail.com.